one uh, caution about, cautionary note about that is that Rory Nickel will be missing this game again. He's not going to be playing against Purdue. Um, also, Austin Spittler is going to be out. Um, and then a couple other key guys who are going to be out are uh, receiver Dane, Dane Sanzenbacher, who uh, suffered a concussion last week, along with Dan Boom Heron. Um, he also received a concussion last week in the game, and he's going to be out. Um, now, with Boom Herons, uh, Jim Trussell is actually uh, expressed a little bit of concern about this one in that he feels that there should have been a flag uh, thrown on that play. He's, he feels that the Wisconsin defender led with his helmet, and he had been told that the Big Ten was going to be cracking down on helmet first hits. So uh, Jim Trestle is a little bit miffed about that, and he's actually been talking to the media a little bit about it. So um, you're not going to see anything happen with this. There's not, you know, there's not going to be any kind of official apology or anything like that, but um, I think Jim Trestle just wants to make sure that if they are going to call that, that they're going to be consistent with it. Um, so as Ohio State plays Purdue, what, what are we looking at here? Uh, Purdue is not a very good football team. Um, they really, really struggle to stop the run. Teams have been running all over them, um, and that should play right into Ohio State's hands with uh, Terrell Pryor and Beanie Wells. Um, Purdue's offense, normally their strength, has not really been a strength this year. They're really struggling. They're not throwing the ball well. Um, so it looks like on paper this one should be a blowout, but with Ohio State, you never know. Uh, they have that tendency to play down to the level of their opponents, and uh, they're also often susceptible to these um, sort of let-down games where they won't play a good game, and then they'll squeak it out in the end. So um, I'm looking to see a, a focused Ohio State team. I want to see how they come out, and hopefully they can keep up the same intensity that they uh, played with on that last drive against Wisconsin, and we want to see that carry over into a big win against Purdue. Um, now to uh, wrap up the cycle with our coverage of the Indians, we'll go back to Scott. Waitingfornextyear.com. Thanks, Rock. Uh, while the, uh, the farmhands are playing in the Arizona Fall League, uh, we uh, had Mike write up a recent piece on the recent press conference that uh, Indians general manager Mark Shapiro had, and uh, he touched on a few things. Uh, Mike mentioned the possible surgery to Travis Hafner, as well as the team looking to add some veteran pitching. A, uh, a couple other things that that uh, uh, Mark Shapiro mentioned was that he would be uh, definitely looking at a closer. And uh, if you got a chance to catch uh, Dan Parker and I, uh, we wrote a three-part series on the uh, wrapping up the 2008 season for the Indians. I, uh, I mentioned that I, while they're going to give it the old college try in finding a closer, I really don't think they'll be successful. Uh, I think they attempted to do so this past year, and uh, we ended up with a Masa Kobayashi. And if they're, uh, we have players like uh, Francisco Rodriguez, who'll be looking for a $15 million a year uh, per year contract, and and these, uh, this team simply won't pay for that. Uh, another big name that uh, would be possible is Brian Fuentes, and uh, some have mentioned Joachim Soria out of Kansas City. Uh, I am kind of uh, on board with uh, Terry Pluta, who wrote uh, this past Tuesday that the team should look again at Bobby Howery. Uh, they let uh, Bobby go a, a few years back uh, just because they do not pay for bullpen arms, and uh, Howery went on to Chicago and did very, very well. Um, he did uh, have quite a rough season with a uh, an ERA north of five, but the, the two years before that, his ERA was just above three. Um, he's been he's pitched in uh, nearly 80 games uh, over the last four years, and uh, each of the last four years, I'm sorry. 
and uh, including the one season with the Tribe that he did very, very well. Uh, 2005 was a great year for the Indians, and Howard was a big part of that. I think giving him a look and making sure that uh, – you know, just to see if it is an option at at, at what cost would uh, would be a viable try. Um, and the, and uh, finally, regarding the Indians, uh, the Johnny Peralta to the third base, I I, I want to say it's it's going to be it's going to happen, but uh, I really think the team is going to look for other options prior to this. Uh, yes, we all want to see Azubu Cabrera at short, but uh, the Indians are concerned with Peralta's ability and his reflexes at third. If he if he hasn't been able to get the ball at short, he's going to have a lot less time to to react at third. And uh, assuming uh, West Hodges is not ready to take the, the starting role right away, the team is going to have to look at a third baseman. And uh, it, it's slim pickings out there. Uh, <laughs> names like old Casey Blakes uh, of the world uh, could, could make their way back, but uh, that remains to be seen. Uh, that about wraps it up for the cycle, and let's take it to the main event. And now, and now the main event. event. All right, folks, welcome to the main event of this week's podcast. With us, our guest of honor, as promised, Dan Lobby from uh, Cleveland.com's Cavaliers Corner. Dan, say hello. Hello, thanks for having me. And uh, we figured, uh, though we do have a big uh, Monday night football game coming up, the uh, the Cavaliers did suit up for their first preseason game of the year. And given the way the Brown season's going and the fact that the Indians are now uh, more focused on you know getting their prospects up to speed in the fall league, we thought it would be a little apropos to talk a little Cavaliers. So um, I guess first off, uh, any, any, any thoughts on what uh, took place last night? Well, you know, last night was kind of a typical preseason game. LeBron James played about eight minutes, took, uh, I think it was all three shots. Uh, You know, it was kind of a feeling out process, keep everybody healthy process. You know, the Cavs have had some terrible preseason records, and it just goes to show that the preseason really is kind of a meaningless time where you, just like in football, you want to keep your starters healthy, you know, get as much gelling in as you can. But you have 82 games during the season to really gel and come together. So, yeah, I I think last night was just one of those those nights where they – they showed off Mo Williams for the first time. They kept LeBron James healthy. They kind of pushed the tempo a little bit to show that off. But, you know, not, not a whole lot to, to take out of that game. Uh, the, our opponent being the Raptors uh, could surprise a lot of people this year in the East. They uh, acquired Jermaine O'Neal. They are deciding to move on without T.J. Ford and have Jose Calderon running the full-time point guard. And if uh, anybody got to see him last year, uh, they they know why. I you know a lot of us felt that he was one of the more underappreciated guards going into last season. Um, along with Toronto, I guess I can you know first part of the question is uh, are they a for real team in the East? And uh, if so, or if not, uh, any other teams that you think we should be looking out for as this uh, preseason starts coming to an end and the regular season kicks off? Well, I think Toronto, like you said, Toronto's kind of the team. Uh, nobody's really talking about them because I think everybody's buzzing about Philadelphia and, and Elton Brand. But, you know, Toronto's a dangerous team. They were in the playoffs last year. They had a better better record last season uh, than Philadelphia had last year. And with that addition of Jermaine O'Neal, if he's healthy, uh, that front line of Chris Bosh and Jermaine O'Neal is, is about as formidable as it gets. Those are two athletic big men. And it's tough to find. I mean, we know in Cleveland it's tough to find one good athletic big man uh, and they've got two, so that makes them dangerous. But I, I think Philadelphia, you know, that that's a team to keep an eye on. Like, they didn't have a great regular season last year, uh, but they added Elton Brand. Um, he, you know, he, if, if he's healthy, and that's a big question mark because he missed a lot of time last year with that, uh, I believe it was an Achilles injury. Um, 
if he's healthy, that's a, that's a dangerous team as well. Andre Miller, uh, a great point guard and makes everybody better around him to use the cliche. So that's a dangerous team. Uh, and, and, and who really knows what Orlando's going to do? If Dwight, if Dwight Howard takes that next step this year, if he develops a consistent post game, uh, that's going to be a dangerous team as well. You know what's interesting, Dan, when we uh, when we talk about those teams you just mentioned, um, really the, you could say the focus on a lot of these teams is their big men, and whether you're looking at the Sixers with Brandon Dallenberg, you got the Raptors, they they actually may even go four deep, because uh, we, we also didn't mention Bargnani and uh, Chris Humphreys as well, who are, uh, well, Chris Humphreys is a pretty good player too, uh, Orlando has Dwight Howard, all these teams seem to have a lot of, uh, a lot of size, do you see that potentially being a matchup problem? problem for the Cavaliers, um, assuming the Cavs don't make any other moves and they go in with this rather shallow front court. Do you think that's going to be a matchup problem for the Cavs? Well, we'll see how that goes. It's interesting. Before it was the East was kind of uh, guard heavy, and the Cavs had a lot of bigs, and now it's sort of reversed. The Cavs obviously dumped Drew Gooden last year, and then now they're sort of thin on the front line, especially if Ben Wallace is uh, is shaky if he doesn't look like the old Ben Wallace. But, um, you know, I, I do see some mismatch problems against teams like Toronto, uh, against a team like Orlando. You know, <laughs> Tony Batie is back for Orlando, an old friend uh, that, that Cleveland folks might remember. And, you know, he's not a name a lot of people talk about he's obviously not a star, but he's a nice role player to have. He's a he's a good big. If if he's if he's back and he can uh, give Dwight Howard a break now and then, uh, that that's going to help Orlando a lot. So yeah, I think there are some mismatch problems. It makes JJ Hickson very important, and it might make Wally Zerbiak's expiring contract very important at the trade deadline if there's any bigs out there to be had. But but I also think the Cavs are going to have the ability to turn up the tempo, go small, and and kind of force matchup problems with other teams that are focused on on bigger players. Uh, just switching uh, gears then to when you're, when you're mentioning bigger players, uh, we had a recent piece uh, on the, the contract status of Anderson Verizhao, a uh, player that we thought would be uh, out of here as soon as his uh, contract was over, given the uh, issues with the holdout and then Charlotte and then re-signing, showing up out of shape, not playing very well last year. Um, you know, we thought we'd have a contract year big man and then he'd be gone. Uh, any, any, any new thoughts on this uh this development since it came out that he does actually like Cleveland and might, you know, consider staying here given the right amount of money. Well, the the thing about Anderson Verjao and the thing about energy players in general is they're always more valuable to the team they're on than if they were to go elsewhere and and sign elsewhere. So Anderson Verjao is more valuable to the Cavs than he would be to another team because if if he signs with another team, it's probably to play a different role. It's probably to be a starting four, a starting center, and, and he can't do that. He's an energy player. He needs to come off the bench. But the thing about Andy is, is here's a guy that averaged six that for his career averages about six points and six rebounds. And, and yet there were people out there saying, and you guys mentioned this in your piece, that his holdout might have derailed the Cavs season last year and when he hurt his ankle. That, that was a big loss for the Cavs because Anderson Verjao, if he was healthy going against Kevin Garnett, makes an impact. Those two have a history together. Anderson Verjao really gets under his skin. When you talk about the Pistons going against Rasheed Wallace, if Anderson Verjao wasn't out there banging with Rasheed Wallace the last, uh, not the last two years, but the two years prior to that, uh, the, the Cavs don't have a chance in those series. I mean, Anderson Verjao is probably one of the most important six and six players in the league because he brings something to the Cavs that they don't have, and that's uh, an attitude and, and an edge that, that nobody else, especially the big man, nobody else on this team brings. And he brings that ability to defend against players that 
are better than him, significantly better than him, but because he plays cheap, because he throws elbows and flops and, and incites the crowd, he, he can get these guys fired up and get them out of their games and get in their heads. So it's an interesting situation with Verjao. How do you value him? I don't know, but it's interesting that it's sort of turned from here's a guy that we thought would be gone as soon as December 5th hit, and all of a sudden Dan Feekin comes out and says, you know, maybe we kind of like Cleveland, and that's a good move for Verizal. He needs to stay in Cleveland because if he goes elsewhere, he's not going to be nearly as valuable. You have, uh, I guess, Amar from uh, Cavalier Attitude wrote a piece about uh, the similar topic, and uh, he he mentioned uh, uh, the agents from Golden State and uh, how – you can, you know, how Verajao might want to mold himself after that. Uh, you know, Beatrice isn't flashy, blocks shots, steals the ball, uh, good field goal percentage, uh, I, you know, 11 and 11 type player, uh, albeit on significantly lower minutes than most starting centers. Uh, you know, uh, players tend to flourish in Don Nelson's system, at least on a, on a statistical uh, point of view. So, uh, Beatrice has benefited from that. Uh, he's roughly about 19, 20 years old. So well, Golden State had no issue locking him up for six years, sixty plus million dollars. If if Feagan's looking at this number, you know, targeting you know a, 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 an overseas player, big man, uh, similar you know way of play, is he out of his mind to even you know put Anderson in the same ballpark as Beatrice at this point? Oh, he's definitely out of his mind. The thing about Andy is uh, really he has no offensive game with the exception of running pick and rolls with LeBron James. He's been one of uh, really good, especially in in the playoffs when the Cavs used to go with that small lineup and play Andy at center, and then they'd spread the floor with shooters and put the ball in LeBron's hands. Andy would run that pick and roll with him, and it was always effective, but that's about the extent of his game now. He he said that he's working on uh, changing his shooting form, trying to to pull his elbow in closer to his body, but uh, Andy's never going to be a guy that can consistently average double-figure points. I, I really don't see that. He, he's not really ever going to be a, a strong shot blocker. He, he's not really, I, I mean, he's athletic, but he's not a high flyer. He's not, you know, the most athletic guy you're going to come across. He, he's at best an energy player, but he's extremely valuable to the Cavs because, you know, they need him coming off the bench and giving them that energy because they have so little athleticism on that front line, especially because we don't know what J.J. Hickson is going to bring. That's why I say in a Cavs uniform, He's very valuable, but if Dan Feegan is going to shop around to other teams, they're going to look at Anderson Verjao and say, look, I can find this guy probably for cheaper. Yeah, I think the thing, too, is uh, with Andy is you don't see too many low-post players who can't receive the ball when they're stationary. If you get the ball down low to Andy and he's stationary, nine times out of ten you're going to get a travel call um, whenever he tries to make his initial move. So, uh, you know, there, you know, we are sitting here saying, you know, there's a lot of downsides, particularly to his offensive game. But at the same time, um, as you mentioned, Dan, there is – some value there to the Cavs. The Cavs at times do seem to play better with him than they do without him. Um, so and you have to look at any potential signing the Cavs are going to do in the scope of 2010 and what they're going to try to do in that summer. So I guess my question then is, Is there? Any, how does Danny Ferry look at this and say, okay, do I exceed the uh, mid-level exception uh, to sign this guy? How, how do you think Danny Ferry is going to weigh that when, when it comes down to making that? decision 
I think he needs to to look at a what Andy does this year, and and I think Andy being in a contract year, in some ways it could be good because maybe he's going to be more focused, maybe he's going to tr- uh, try to put up numbers, but that could be a bad thing too because we've seen when Andy tries to put up numbers, it kind of fails miserably. Like in the Washington series, for example, uh, he, he was trying to to shoot 15 footers and then score, and and it really didn't work for him. So. Partially, and Danny Farrell will have to look at this season to see how it plays out, to see if Andy can kind of return to that form of, of taking charges and being that, uh, you know, that center in an up-tempo offense, but, you know, not trying to be Hakeem Olajuwon or, or whoever he's trying to be. I, I think what Ferry is also going to have to look at is, you know, like you said, 2010, but also the length of the contract. If If he can sign Andy for – I don't know, three years, maybe with a, a player or a team option, and maybe you go a little bit out of your comfort zone. Maybe you stretch yourself to $7 million, but I wouldn't go more than $7 million a year with Andy, I can tell you that. Yeah, I t- totally agree with that. Um, l- let's talk about uh, something else that uh, Rick actually wrote on our site. He, he asked the question, can the Cavs r- run with this team? With uh, when you've got aging big men and Ben Wallace and Zdrunas Ogowskis, you know he's asking the question: Can the Cavs really count on those guys dragging themselves up and down the court? Um, so I'd like to get your opinion on that. Do you, I mean, do you really buy into this? You know, we keep hearing the lip service that the Cavs are going to run more. Uh, do you really buy into this? Do you think that's going to work with this team, or do you think that is going to be something that's going to work for them? I think they're going to run more than we've seen, but but that's not really saying much. We haven't seen them do a lot of running. They aren't going to run for 48 minutes. When Zdrunas Ogowskis is in the game, they really can't run a lot. He's going to slow that down. And, and, and you've got to play a little bit to his strengths, too, and that's that pick and pop, and, and that's going to be most successful in the half court. But what, what I really would like to see the, see the Cavs do when it comes to running is pick one point in each half, and, and this would be perfect for third quarters when they come out flat. Pick one point in each half, move LeBron to the four, put Andy at the center, maybe later in the year J.J. Hickson can play the center position in this lineup. And then you put maybe Delaney West and Mo Williams on the floor with Wally Zerbiak and Sasha Pavlovich, and then you run. Just just kind of an up-tempo lineup, a lineup you know you're going to turn to. Uh, when these guys come into the game, we're going to push, push, push after made baskets, missed shots, whatever. We're going to push the basketball. But, yeah, no, they're not going to run constantly. They're not going to be uh, the Phoenix Suns or, you know, anything like that. But, uh, they're going to push the tempo more, but they're also, you know, they'll need to slow it down when Z's in the game, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I guess in a follow-up with the, you know, your your, your comments on Verjao, you know, trying to do too much, I think a lot of that happened to be because he almost had to be an offensive option. If you remember that, that Washington series, there was entirely too many games where, or too many points in the game where he was on the floor at the same time as Ben Wallace, and if Wallace isn't going to be a an option on the floor, you know, someone in the post has to be. And, I mean, yeah, granted, a lot of times you, you give Andy the ball and you know nothing good is going to happen at the post. But And, and others, you know, he's, he's forced to make those, you know, 360 floaters that, he, that he's sometimes infamous for. And I think if if given, you know, the right lineup and the right offense, I think, you know, he, he would be able to, to get it done. But if anyone's going to be able to run the floor, from a big man standpoint, I would assume it would have to be Verge out at this point. Uh, I know you know you know Hickson obviously is there, but you know you can if you're going to slow it down for Z, I guess that's when you get back to the the, the point where 
you you, you get to the half set offense, dribble the clock down, and then hopefully you know create from there. But if 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 anyone's going to do it, I think it's going to have to be Verizon. And like you said, you know contract years can make players do some some, some special things. You know, and then speaking of Andy on offense, it's, you know, with Ben Wallace, anytime he shoots the ball, it's an adventure, no no matter where he is on the floor. But but with Verizal, if he kind of stays within himself and, and does what he does best, the pick and rolls, you know, the putbacks near the rim, he's fine. But when he starts to do things, there, there's one play that stands out in my mind. I think it was uh, game three of the NBA Finals against the Spurs. And time was winding down, and LeBron James passed the ball to Verizal, clearly wanted it back. And instead, Andy tried this bizarre spinner from 15 feet and hit the backboard wasn't even close on the shot and and that kind of embodies when when Andy is outside of himself and trying to trying to do too much if he stays away from that he's fine offensively but if he starts to do that stuff which we saw a little bit in that Washington series uh, then he gets into trouble exactly um, well, I think that that about wraps up our Cavs section for the main event. I uh, I do want to want to thank uh, Dan Lobby for being our guest of honor tonight, and as always, Bob Schmidt from the Cavs board for uh, for helping us out with the podcast. Uh, do you guys have any uh, closing remarks, Rock? Um, just as you know, one final thing I want to mention about Andy, real quick before we go, I I will point out if if you guys remember uh, after the Cavs uh, matched the offer sheet last year, and when Andy first joined the Cavs, he actually was playing pretty solid offensive basketball, and uh, then he had the injury and he went down, and when he came back, he seemed to be pressing all the time, and he was never quite the same, but I, I think the room for improvement is there, and hopefully it won't be as bleak as we're making out making it out to be, but uh, I think he does have potential to be an adequate um, offensive player, but uh, it, it's just going to be a matter of him settling down and learning to find his offense within the flow of the game rather than trying to force it himself. Last words of that, Dan? Uh, I, I think um, aside from whoever's going to start at that two-guard position, I, I think Anderson Verjao is actually one of the most important pieces of the team this year. Um, he, he's been so vital to this team in the past, especially in the playoffs, and not from a numbers standpoint. But I, I think right now he's one of the keys to the Cavs having success. He gives them the ability to go small. He, he gives them that energy player. And, and they're a different team when Anderson Verjao is healthy and, and playing like he's supposed to play. Excellent, excellent points all around, gentlemen. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening uh, this this time around, and and uh, catch us next week uh, for next week's Waiting for Next Year dot com podcast. Again, uh, Dan Lobby can be found at Cleveland dot com backslash Cavs, and uh, Bob Schmidt's Cavs board. Uh, go check them both out for all the wholesome goodness that is Cavaliers, and uh, I'm sure all of us can agree that we can't wait for this season to roll around. Uh, thanks again, and we'll catch you next week. Strike three called ball game. This has been the Waiting for Next Year.com podcast. For complete coverage of the Browns, Indians, Cavaliers, and all your Cleveland teams, log on to WaitingForNextYear.com. Contact us on the internet. Thank you and good day.